Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett, and this was an absolutely delightful conversation with good mate of mine and four-time Australian Olympic water polo player, Thomas Whalen. We just had an absolute ball in this conversation. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did, and remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today's guest is a water polo legend, arguably the greatest water polo to ever come out of Australia. <laughs> Representing Australia in four Olympic Games in 2000, 2004, 2008, and again in 2012, and over 330 test matches. His talent led him to captain the Australian team, guiding them to some of their most outstanding performances over many, many years. He played professionally for 15 years in Europe, playing for teams in Spain and in Italy. He's a dual bronze medalist in the World League and Commonwealth champion, and is recognised as one of the world's top water polo players. He went on to become the director and president of Water Polo Australia, and off the pitch, he's been instrumental in promoting water polo as the founder and managing director of Water Polo by the Sea, while also excelling in the world of business. For 10 years, he's been the CEO of the Rent-A-Space group of companies, overseeing one of Australia's largest privately owned self-storage companies. He's married to Elka Whalen, formerly Graham, also a multiple Olympic swimmer for Australia, and together they have four kids. He's a good mate, and it's a tremendous honour and a privilege to have him on the show. So welcome, and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Thomas Whalen. How are Greg, you, mate? Oh, I'm fantastic after that. Thanks so much for the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was really great, mate. I, um, you know, a good friend of mine, Brett Hawke, and I have been working together on any question, and uh, it wasn't so long ago... We were chatting about you, and I know Brett brought you onto the platform, and that's right, yeah. And he's like, "Yeah, my mate Thomas Whalen." I'm like, "Thomas, oh, I know Thomas. You know, that's awesome." And then we just happened to bump each into each other down the beach, Balmoral Beach, last what a, weekend. What a wonderful just bump in. We we haven't been down to Balmoral in Sydney's beautiful harbour for quite some time, and uh, there we go. We yeah. run into you from across the world. Who would have thought? And it's uh, yeah, it's beautiful to be able to connect again. I know, mate. Well, look, reading that reading that introduction out, how does it? make you feel now that the years have gone by a little bit mm. and you reflect back does it become more special the further you move away from it or what is it like to get that resume read back to you yeah i think um it, it really does i think when you're in the thick of 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 really trying to go for something to to achieve something there's you know there's a tangible something that you're going for right yeah. you're going for a gold medal or you're going yeah. for success with your team and and you've got really set goals it's very easy to kind of forget about that journey along the way and, and putting it into perspective what you, the privilege that you're in every single day. And so when that's removed from you or taken mm. away from you or some time ago, you get to look back and, and remember how special that moment was. Mm. And, and I think that's the challenge of anyone, right? Anyone who's focused and anyone who's really going after some, something, you can very easily forget the perspective and the joy and the journey along the way. But mm. um, yeah, having that read back to me, it means a lot. It's um, I'm really proud of not only necessarily the accolades or anything, but more about, I think, the character that I was along the way. Mm. The ups and the downs, the, the highs and the lows, what you learn about yourself, what you learn about others. But, but ideally, you can look back at any career or any lifetime. I think I've got a long, long lifetime ahead of me. Um, but, but you can look back and really, um, I think your proudest moments are those where your character's potentially been tested or mm. you can look back and be proud of the character and the integrity upon which you, um, you dealt with, with that journey. Mm-hmm. Was it, you know, I think back of sport myself and you, you have such tremendous purpose when you're in this window of sport and you're looking at Olympic cycles and you're looking at world championships mm. and 
and there's such purpose. When when you decide to decide to give it all away, was that a hard transition for you? You know, going from professional water polo, Olympics every four year, captain of the Australian water, like all yeah. of that. Was that a difficult transition, or how did you manage that? I was. I think I was really, really fortunate. I was coming towards the end of my career, um, towards 2012. Yeah. Um, so in in about. 2009, I played in the World Championships. I think it was my fifth World Championships with the Aussie team. I was captain. I've been playing overseas uh, in Europe. Um, I had one more year, and I think that was in yeah 2009, 2010. Decided to go across um, to Barcelona with my wife, Elka, at the time. And we fortunately fell, in, uh, fell pregnant with Nevada um, in Spain. So Nevada means, uh-huh. you know, a purity of white. Um, and it was, it was beautiful because... I knew I was coming towards the end of my career because my passion and my focus was starting to move Mm. towards other things, to that next phase in life. Mm. And it was really fortunate to be able to have someone to share that with and someone like Elka who had been through that journey herself and had gone through transition and retirement Mm. and, you know, the challenges that come with the purpose that you have in yourself tied to what you do or Mm. who you are in that space at that time in sport. And so it was a really special moment to, to go back to Barcelona where I started my international career to be able to enjoy and that journey with Elka. She yeah. wasn't there way back when I first went across in 2001, 2002 to be looking forward to having our first child. Mm. But also in my mind, I knew I was getting passionate about business. I was getting passionate about the next transition and what that looked like. So we moved back to Australia after that in about 2010 and, and I had to establish a career outside of sport. Mm. Water polo, yes, it paid some, um, some money overseas in Europe, but it certainly wasn't going to set you up for retirement. And I think there's a joy, well, there's a benefit in that too, right? Mm-hmm. Because you've got to transition. So I studied a lot throughout my career. I, I took all of nine years to get a commerce and a law degree. Well and done. It was, <laughs> I think it was probably the longest uh, d- double degree of all time. By 2000, I think it was, if you got to 10 years, you had to start repeating. So that was, oh, I started really? cramming it and going, no, no, I've got to get this done, right? Yeah. Um, but going back to that year, that final year, I really enjoyed that final year. I really made the most of it. I was aware of it. I was mm. aware of the moments in training, the teammates, um, the opportunities we had living in Europe. And, and I really made the most of it. But as I said, my, my mind was shifting. I was mm. ready to, mm. to do something else. So I came back, 2011 started at um, UBS in private wealth of all things. Mm. And, and that's what I thought I always wanted to do, a career in finance. That had what I'd, that's what I'd study. That's what I thought of from a young period um, in my life. I thought, yep, yeah, that's what I want. I want the big end of town, right? Mm. I want the big buildings and I want all of those titles and things. And it wasn't necessarily everything that, that I thought it would be. Mm. Um, and it wasn't necessarily an easy transition. Uh, in 2011, I was made redundant. Everybody in UBS in, in my category was made redundant. So I didn't take it personally. I thought, yep, that's fine. But it was a good sign as well. I was kind of asking. I was actually saying, hey, Lord, you know, yeah. can you give me a sign? Is this really what, what's, what's in it for me? And I was made redundant and it was just such a good feeling almost. It sounds counterintuitive, right? But it's like, great. The decision was made for me <laughs> because I would have just grounded out. Yeah, you know, we're, yeah, we're athletes, yeah. right? You'd grind it out. No, no, I'm going to make this succeed. And that gave me the opportunity to come back um, into the Australian team and make my way back into the Australian team out of two years out of the water uh, internationally. So it was in 2012 this happened. We had our first child, then we had our second child, Edison. And so... To get to the Australian team that I always took for granted, that you know it was just a given. I'm in the Australian team. I'm I'm working for the next Olympics. I had to really work hard, mm. and 
And that gave me such a sense of satisfaction of getting back into the team, getting back into the team as a leader again and realizing that this was my last Olympics. Mm -hmm. So all of that together, I was really blessed that I knew that this was the last one. And so I really took the time to build the relationships in that last one, to enjoy mm -hmm. the, the feelings, to walk out on the pool deck in front of 5,000 people in a world crowd, feeling those nerves and going, you know what, this is going to be one of the last times I, I get to experience that. Yeah. So, geez, it hurts right now. I'm nervous. I'm nervous as all Pressure hell. is a privilege, Pressure right? is a privilege, 100%. Yeah. And yeah. so when I transitioned, yeah, there's, there's challenges with transitioning and finding what, what that was in, in terms of my next career. But I was really ready and yeah. I was really blessed that I, that I was ready to go. I love that. Uh, I love, um, you know, it's one of my favourite topics is, you know, talking to people that have had to transition, whether that be from military or first responders or athletes transitioning to call it civilian life, if you like. Yeah. And, 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 and it's not easy. It's, it's some, easy for some, harder for others. Those that listen to the show know that I spent a couple of years trying to find my way a little bit. Uh, Laura, you know, again, yeah. she felt pregnant and that consumed her. Mm -hmm. um, but being able to have somebody to share it with, just like you did with Elker, and having that person that's strong behind you to keep you, okay, it's okay. You that's know, we it. can get through this. For me, you almost transitioning pre-2012 getting this little bit of a comeback so you can really yep. be present and be grateful for the experience and you didn't take it for granted. Yeah. For me, that's one of the best transitions I've heard to some degree because it's kind of like I've gone out, realised there's maybe a little bit more I can give. That's it. Pretty hard to do. Yep. Come back to the Australian team. They're probably saying you're old and you're washed up by now. You've already been to three Olympics. That's it. <laughs> and then you've got to go again. Let, let's yeah. do this. Let's, we've sort of started at the end a little bit there, but yeah. let, let's rewind the clock. Because I'm always fascinated by how someone of your iconic stature now, whether you like it or not, it's a four-time Olympian in water polo. It really puts you at this, you know, it's pretty iconic. I want to rewind the clock and understand where did your passion for water polo or competitive sports come from? You know, siblings and everything else and how you grew up and how you ended up becoming one of Australia's all-time great water polo players. Take me right back. Take you right back to the start, okay? So <laughs> here we I, go. Here we go. All right. No, I'll try not to get, take the transition too long. But no, I was um, one of three, the youngest of three. My sister's six years older than me. My brother's three years older than me. Um, my brother and I were very competitive in everything that we did. But I think um, my mother and father really encouraged us to get into as many things as possible. Mm. We were doing all sorts of things. We were doing sports, absolutely, um, to keep us busy, to mm. keep us out of the house probably, and to keep her sane, um, my mother sane, you know. <laughs> um, but also my mother threw us into music. She threw us into drama. She just threw us into as many activities as possible mm. to keep us busy and probably in a way for us to be able to find our passions. Mm. From a young age, we all swam. Um, and so... I think that gave us a really good foundation that we just had this core fitness about us from a young age. Mm. So that naturally allowed us to succeed in, in different areas. I remember, you know, year one or year two or something like that, winning the athletics carnival. <laughs> it doesn't mean a whole lot now, but I was, I was actually cleaning my parents' room up the other day and I found that old trophy. <laughs> and I'm like, what? I've held this the whole time. But it meant a lot to me, I suppose, because it was very foundational in this in the sense that it gave me confidence mm. right so my parents encouraging me putting me through swimming and things like that just just gave me a baseline of confidence around your peers and so we did everything and i did swimming a lot i did athletics i did cross country i had so many great people in my life growing up 
that invested the time in me in those various things. I remember my cross-country coach, three times a week when we were in about year four or five, he'd drive us to the golf course and we'd run around the golf course. I mean, that's kind of insane for a 10-year-old or 11-year-old, but he was passionate and Mm -hmm. we had this great crew and we, we really enjoyed it. And so I did that and I did, as I said, all sorts of sports. I did cricket, I did swimming, I did nippers, loved life-saving. My parents would take me to the beaches no matter where it was. And so we, had, we did have a really big emphasis yeah. on sport. And I think um, it was just so healthy to be in and around different sports, not all individual sports. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I was about 13, uh, 12 or 13, my brother came across water polo at school. Mm. And I didn't even know what, what water polo was. I saw these funny hats that looked like they were underpants hanging up <laughs> at the poolside, right? And I just followed him once. Uh, he went down to the club at Sydney University and I followed him. And it was in a, in a time of my life where kids started to transition. They started to, you know, get bigger, deeper voices, all of that. And you, all of a sudden you were one of the most successful swimmers to – doesn't matter how successful you were. It's just who's you, transitioning have first. Have you grown? Have, have you grown? grown? That's yeah. right. Yeah. And a lot of those were individual sports. Yeah. And I just came across water polo. It's a team sport and it was technical and it was new and it was exciting. And I just fell in love with the sport mm. and, and the team aspect of it. And I was really fortunate to be part of an era that um, there were some good coaches in and around the place, really dedicated once again to, to where we were, even at a young age from under 14s. I remember my first tour in the under-14 state team was to Canberra. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. We get to tour. I've made it. I've made it, all right? And, and I was in an all-boys school my whole life. Yeah. And there was a girls' team that we toured with. I'm like, whoa, jackpot. You've got me. <laughs> so that's probably the start of my, my yeah, water polo yeah. career. That's where it all started. <laughs> I think I have a similar story when I got into triathlon around that same sort of 15, 16, 14, 15, 16. And, and I remember swimming at North Sydney Pool across yes, the bridge yeah. here. Um, and... And there was just a girl I liked in the pool. Boom, and that had, that. Me, that had me waking up at 5 a.m. every morning to turn up and the days where she wasn't there. And I never spoke to her, by the way. I, <laughs> no, I was way right. too scared to talk to her. But I remember the day she didn't turn up, you'd almost be like, your workout would suck, right? Because, <laughs> totally. I, hey, I can re- relate to that. I remember the same thing with swimming. I was yeah. there because they had girls that would swim. Yeah. And I remember my first girlfriend, right? Yeah. Her name was Kim Duff. And she broke up with me. And because I was an all-boys school, I didn't know what to do. We just, we hung out, right? Yeah. And I'm swimming. I'm focusing on my swimming. And she broke up with me. She, she said, oh, um, no, no, I won't tell you why. I won't tell you why. I'm like, no, no, well, tell me why. And it slipped out of her mouth. She goes, oh, you're too frigid. And I'm like, <laughs> I went home to my mother and I said, mum, what does frigid mean? <laughs> yes, for our American <laughs> listeners, I'm not sure. Do we know? I don't know. Is that a frigid, global word? <laughs> well, frigid just means that you, you're, you're not, not putting out. You're not putting out. <laughs> As a 10-year-old, I mean, I didn't even kiss the girl. I didn't, I didn't even know, know what you were supposed to do. So it was quite funny. But yes, yeah. maybe there's something in that for coaches yeah. of junior athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Just get boys and girls together and I make it you, fun. The, yeah, the boys will keep showing up. I'm telling you, it's, it's that simple. I love that. I love that your parents put you into a multitude of sports. Mm. I think you and I were talking at the beach the other day about about this, but of, we, we, we see a lot of parents getting heavily involved in their kids right now and, yeah. and going, they're gifted. Mm. Like we all have gifted kids, right? Yeah. I mean, you probably do actually because you, you're both multiple Olympians. But anyway, <laughs> and it's kind of like we put so much pressure on them. And it's at the end of the day, sport is meant to just be play. It's meant to be social. It's meant to 100%. test yourself. And, and there's so many life lessons that you can learn through sport. You know, winning, failure, all of that. And it's in a safe environment to be able to do it and to be able to go experience like you have. And then once you decided to pull the trigger and go, water polo's for me. Tell me about that moment. Like when did you realize I'm pretty good at this? Like 
Yeah. This actually could be something for me. How old were you and what was that like? Yeah, so I was I was probably about 13. So I transitioned. I'd, I'd started playing water polo about 12. And by about 13, I just, everything I did in my life almost was like, ah, oh, this is the perfect sport. I've yeah. got life-saving nippers in there. I've got the the cardio of, yeah. of athletics or, or long-distance running cross-country. And I've got a swimming background. It all kind of came together. And I saw this as a global sport. Yeah. I really just loved it. Yeah, I loved the technical skills. I loved the team aspect. There was so many. That, actually, that, that was difficult, right? Because swimming is, mm. it's about your time, right? And it's all so about you. It's you all got, about you. Yeah, yeah. You're right. in a lane. No one's touching you. It's That's a whole it. different world. Yeah. So it's it's kind of negatives and positives because yeah. like, uh, why won't you get up and do this kind of thing? But you gotta you got to work all of those. It becomes this four-dimensional sport almost. Yeah. So I was about 13 um, when I got selected, as I said, in that under-14 state team. And we started to train and, and then the next one was probably at about um, 15 years of age, I was selected in the under 17 national team. Ah. And we got to travel as a national team, um, junior national team across to Europe. Wow. I'd never been to Europe, right? Never even knew it existed, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. started a bit in history. Yeah, but yeah. We went to Hungary, the, the home of water polo. Oh, wow. And yeah. we got to see the national team playing and training against them. And then we got to train afterwards, right? With the national junior team of Hungary. And it was just, my eyes were just wide open. I'm like, this is the sport for me. I love this. I could see there were professional leagues in Europe. I could see just, I just loved, fell in with, love with Europe. Yeah. We were in Hungary, then we were in Croatia, then wow. we were in Slovenia in our first tour. I'm just like, this sport has me. Yeah. I, just, I just love it. I could see my future in mm -hmm. this sport and was just captivated by it. Did you find the level was substantially better than Australia when you went there? Was it like, whoa, we're not even, or could you play? Did you feel like you guys? Yeah, we, we we had a fantastic coach yeah. at the time. He was he was out from Hungary and he was a successful player himself. He was a world champion and an Olympic medalist. What was his name? Uh, Ispan Gorgenyi, Dr. Yeah. Ispan Gorgenyi. Yeah. And he was our first coach in that junior national team yeah. and, and he put together a program for us in the lead up to that, that first tour and he put together a style of play and it was more than just grinding away at your fitness and – Yes, it was a step up in the level, huge step up when we first went over there. But at the same time, by virtue of how hard we'd worked and how smart we'd worked, we never saw ourselves as so far below mm. the Europeans. Wow. And, and we had, yeah, we had some big blowout games against, you know, the Spanish and, and the Hungarians, etc. But I think it gave that team and that group of guys a real, um, a, a real taste for what success could look like. Mm. And that same group of guys, we went across um, eventually to the under-20 World Junior Championships and we worked hard. It was another coach at the time because Isfan went, went on to be the coach of the Sydney 2000 Olympic gold winning team. Wow. So it's, it's kind of after those moments you realise how good you had it, right? Yeah, <laughs> Your yeah. coaches were in the influences. And who was that? Who was the gold winning team? So that was, um, that was Isfan Gurgenyi, so the, the Aussie women's team. Yeah. So that oh, was their, of course. Yeah, yeah, their yeah. first gold yeah, medal. Yeah, that for, was the first ever women's water polo. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then we had another coach, a Russian background. He was a gold medalist as well, Erkan Shigayev. And wow. he was a hard, hard coach yeah, right that, really that hard eastern european yeah that that's hard-ass coaching yeah, that's yeah, it yeah. and uh you know really ground us away but we ended up getting a silver at the junior world championships wow. in, in 2020 uh sorry in so you made the final you made the final of the junior world champs who was that up that's, against so that was up against italy and we'd beaten yeah. them three times out of the five times we'd played them so it was it was a devastating loss yeah but once again you look back in perspective yeah Australia had never done that before Australia had never won a medal Australia the best they got was fourth which was fantastic still 
yeah, I was very blessed to have good coaches and leaders along along my journey from a young age. So, so then you know that uh, those junior and under twenty three, then the big stepping stone Olympics two thousand home Olympics. You know, we're sitting here in your office in Wallara in Sydney, like literally, we're five kilometers from Homebush Bay where the Olympics are. It was a kind of for all of us that were in sport, that was the holy grail. Absolutely. 2000 yeah. Olympics. I knew Elka, your yes. wife at the time. Yeah. We were training together over in Manly Beach. That's and, right. And I was trying to make the Sydney Olympics and I, I thought I was a, I wasn't a shoe in, but I thought I was a pretty good chance. And I, yeah. I, I missed the team. Elka makes the team. Tell me about your experience making the Olympics for the very first time. What was that all like? It's funny. It's, it's more when you go back, you know, at the start we were talking about perspective down the track i think at the time i was just i was young i was 19 by the time i made that wow, that team that's young and i was so focused on success you know mm-hmm. from a young age everything was about success mm-hmm. and and building up towards success and it was a huge step and i was you know so over the moon yes by being selected i was the youngest player in the team i had to work really hard I moved to uh, the AIS in Canberra for two years. So got out of school, went there 18, 19. And that was a big step up mm. because you've got these adults, yeah. right? There's guys there that are, that are prolonging their careers to, to try and get to Sydney 2000. Yeah. The, the Aussie men's team, unfortunately, didn't qualify for the 1996 Olympics. So mm. they hadn't. So there's guys that have missed out on eight years of, you know, of Olympics. And so there was a lot of competition there. Um, but I remember, yeah, just working hard, focusing so hard and, and trying to make sure that nothing was getting in the way of me firstly getting selected and then success thereafter. And I remember being selected, but you, you, you're so focused on that success that I don't, don't think I've probably realized so the magnitude like ticking, of it. Ticking a box. I was ticking right? a box, yeah, that's yeah, right. It's yeah, like, yeah. this is just what I've got to do on the journey. That's yeah, ticking a box yeah. because it's more about what comes after yeah, that, right? Yeah, yeah. And I remember walking in though, and you're focused, you're training hard. Everyone talks about the Olympics, how big it is, but the Olympics beforehand, I was what, 15, it was 96, it was a long way away. You don't really take in how big that is mm. until you walk into the opening ceremony. Mm. And the opening ceremony, 110,000 fans. Home Olympics. Home Olympics, your family's there, yeah. you know, everyone's going crazy. That's the moment where it was just like, wow, this is pretty big, you know, yeah. this, is, this is huge. But once again, you've got to be able to focus and switch straight away into it. No, no, I'm here for a Is water polo a the second week? Was it second week? It was the second week back yeah, then. Yeah, because swim, swimming is always the first week. Yeah, then, swimming's then, always had it good, right? They get to go out and party. Well, you know, they never str- get to do the opening ceremony. That's true. So. Oh, that's and true. I actually, if, when you do the opening and the closing, the closing's like whatever. Yeah. The opening's actually a real thrill. So yeah, I actually right. do feel for the swimmers. They never get to do the opening ceremony. That's true. So. But don't feel too bad for them, <laughs> no, right? No, I don't feel bad for them. <laughs> they get to just work out, do their little sprints, and then they're done, right? No, that's I'm just kidding. It. I'm no, taking Exactly. I'm taking the piss, but yeah. so you get you get to the Olympics, you do the opening ceremony. Yeah. How'd you go in that first Olympics? We ended up getting eighth, and that was a disappointment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, because of how we were leading into those Olympics, I just know the team, and I didn't have confidence in in where we would land. You can just tell by who you're playing. We'd have lots of close games, and we'd lose it in that last one or two minutes. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, in retrospect, was really a um, it was really a maturity of the team or the or the confidence of the team to wasn't there. To finish it off. That's right. It's a big difference. So you have that, the, the real highs of being there, right, and a part of it, but then you have the lows of not achieving as you'd want to and the expectations you probably have around you as mm-hmm. well. And you mm-hmm. see all of those gold medalists and, 
Australian teams doing better than ever and you're not a part of that. Well, yeah. Yes, you're a part of that, of course, but you know what I mean. Everybody, so. Everybody's celebrating around you and you feel like, oh, should I even be at this party? I'm kind of That's like, it. Yeah, yeah, I exactly. get that. But look, then you go on and I don't want to take light of all the Olympics you went to, but going 2000, then again in 2004, 08, 12. It's, it's, it's outstanding. Mm. What was it about your game? that kept you in teams? What made you first stand out as a 19 year old to be selected in 2000? You know, you're a six foot five strapping man. <laughs> you, you know, obviously you're strong. Was it your speed, agility, tactician? What was it about your game that, that you think kept you in these teams and made you such a great water polo player? That's a really good question. I've never thought of that. Um, I actually think it was, it was also a factor of all of the things that made me the player that I am outside of water polo so all of the aspects that i had um growing up all of the different sports that i had even the way that you you know you study and learn you put pressure on yourself in, in various aspects in life i think it was a lot of those factors because from from the first 2000 olympics until 2012 i'd really morphed into a different player mm. and I'd, I'd had different roles in different teams at different times I was a really fast player at a young age because of my swimming background. So that really helped me in terms of counterattack. Funnily enough, my nickname was Skeletor. So I wasn't big and strong at that time. So I had to be- They're big boys, the water polo players. They are big boys, exactly. (laughs) They're really big boys, the Montenegrins, the Serbians, the Croatians, Russians. Um, And so I I was really more of a swimmer, more agile. I was a center back because I could be agile around that really big guy in the middle um, and try not to break your nose or- or lose, um, you know. Yeah, your nose doesn't look too bad. Do you ever break it? Oh, I did break it. Yeah, it's got a little bit of a <laughs> <laughs> broke that eye socket as well oh, once, geez. just before two thousand and eight. So there's wow. there's a fair bit that goes on. But yeah, look, I th- I think it was just a resilience and a love of the game. And I had I had different experiences with different teams throughout my career. And by virtue of that, I had to play a different roles. So it was just being resilient and mm, and always. Mm playing your part in the team at that time, even if it wasn't the part that you wanted to play. Mm-hmm. And did you find, you, you did 2000 Olympics, then you headed off to Europe. When, when did you start first playing professional? When was your professional contract? So in, my in first professional contract was actually, yeah, 2002. Okay. I moved, uh, yeah, moved to Barcelona. Yeah, and so that allowed you, when you talk about professional water polo, that allows you to play full-time That's all right. year round. Yeah. And where's the, is it just played in Spain or like the, the leagues that you play, are they within countries or are they across all of Europe? Because I know... Yeah, all across Europe. So yeah. it's, it's kind of like you think about football, uh, Champions League, so they've got their own leagues, yep. the Italian League or the yep, Spanish yep. League, and then they've got Champions League and they've got a version of UEFA. Ah. Just obviously not as much money involved or, yeah, yeah, or people still involved. Big. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah. still big. So when I, got, when I went across to Barcelona, they have a great league there. It's... It's full time. You get given an apartment, some cash. You've got a pool that's literally on the on the beach at Barcelona. Like, where else would you want to be in life, right? Yeah, if yeah. if you love your sport. Yeah. Um, and then we got to play in the Spanish league, but also in the Champions Leagues as well. So right. we got to play all across Europe against the best teams yeah. and the best players in the world. Did you find that really in, it helped your game? I mean, because yeah. obviously leaving Australia and going and playing the Europeans on a weekly, daily basis. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's later on in my life um, when I was president of Water Polo Australia, I was really trying to articulate that to Australian clubs and to, a, to the Australian system. Mm-hmm. And you take for granted what you've been through and what the system here hasn't necessarily been exposed to. Over there, when we talk about high performance, you've got a team, full-time, all professional, all turning up 10 times a week, doing the weights, doing the swimming, doing everything together, mm-hmm. playing once or twice a week um, in Champions League or, or the Spanish League at the time, and then training against other clubs. You just 
you just can't get that yeah. here. So, and you've also got some of the best players in the world as well in your team. Mm-hmm. So even if you know, you're the best here in Australia, you may have one or two of the best in Australia, but you won't be exposed to four, five or six of the best in the world yeah. really pushing the limits. Your music to my ears, mate. I, I, I've said this both to the Australian and triathlon feder- uh, US triathlon federations is don't just get your athletes swimming and testing them in velodromes and on the bike and running around tracks. It's like there's nothing better than racing and nothing. racing the best in the world often. Race, race, 100%. race. And to your oh. point, water polo, play, play, play against the best any chance you get. There's nothing like it. Right? Nothing there's at all. nothing that'll test you beyond where you've been before. That's the only thing that works. So when you look at the span of your career, which I, I would assume in water polo is pretty long. Um, yeah. 15 years at the highest level. What have been some of the really great standout moments? It sounds like Sydney was a standout, yeah. but it was a little bit maybe you skipped over it, probably because of youth. And, yes, and, and, yeah. But what were some of the really great standouts of you, your career? I think the great standouts, 2008 Beijing Olympics, we, we had just such a strong team and it, was, it had the backbone of that juniors team that I talked about that had success at the World Junior Championships. Yeah. Um, and, and we were there. We were really there. And I got to captain that team yeah. and it was a real privilege and, and it was an honour and I really took responsibility of that, of, of the relationships I forged in that mm. team leading into that Olympics. And I genuinely believed and I think there was genuine belief in the team that we would succeed. And we, we started off well. We, we, needed to, we played against Greece in our first game and wow. that, was, that was a do or die game and the Greeks, you know, great great team great history and and we played well and we started well and we beat them well mm-hmm. and that really set us up for a good olympics um the challenge was we we lost thereafter to spain but in we had three more games we had to play hungary we had to play montenegro oh. and i think we had to play italy we beat uh italy um from memory but then it was hungary and montenegro all we needed to do because of the for and against and everything all we needed to do was draw uh, was was win those games, and against Hungary in the final second, one of our games, uh, one of our goals was disallowed, and so we, we ended up drawing. I think we were the only team at the time uh, drawing or losing by one to Hungary, who went on to win the gold medal. Wow! So that was a real low point, but a high point as mm. well that we were there. We had to then play Montenegro next, and I believe we had to yeah we had to win that game by one. We drew six all, so it was. It's, it's your highest of highs and your lowest of lows at that same point. If I can just quickly go to, to 2012, probably my biggest high, at least with the Australian team, was we went into that Olympics. As I said, I had to work really hard for that one. We had some young players. We had some older players. We had a really good mix of guys. But the first round games, we weren't doing well. Um, we got beaten by Croatia by three goals. We were down and out, basically, and we had to come up against Greece again. Greece was the do-or-die do game. And some things weren't happening in our in our team in extra man in extra technical aspects of the game so i pulled the team together and said right we're sitting down we're going through every single goal that's been scored against us to date in these olympics goal by goal and you're putting your hands up and we're poking the fingers at each other and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get to the bottom of what's going on here and it was just such a good meeting not because i called it not because of my ego but because we had created an environment in that team that was willing to put their hands up. Trust. And in that, in that mm. meeting, the youngest player on the team put his hand up and he said, you know what? I really don't understand what we're doing in extra man defense in this aspect. 
Now, imagine being the youngest player in a team of older guys, right? Mm. And saying that in the middle of the Olympics. Mm. And that's where that was one of my proudest moments that our youngest guy had a voice enough to, to be put himself out there. And from that, some of the other guys actually put their hands up and said the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't, we went out, we beat Greece by five goals. We played the best game we'd ever played in the Olympics, I believe, um, under pressure as well. And that got us through to the quarterfinals. Mm. And it was just such a satisfying moment of as a team, as an individual, as a leader, as a group, all of us could could really go through that together and succeed. Mm. Now we went on and and unfortunately we lost to Serbia. We we played three perfect quarters as well. We were up four goals, they up won five the gold, goals. Didn't they Serbia they ended up getting the bronze in oh, that one, but um, Croatia won the gold. But they went on to get the gold the next Olympics. Twenty sixteen, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I've been doing my homework, there but I'm not have. quite. I'm, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm impressed, right? I'm impressed. And they came over us in the end. Yeah. And to their credit, they did come over us and they beat us. But it was once again it was the highest of highs and then the lowest of lows but but that's what i hold my hat on is is really that team the leadership and even though we didn't get the gold medal it was it, there was a gold medal moment in mm. there for me mm. were, were most of the aussies playing in europe by this stage in in teams as well in clubs over, over the seas yeah I, I i think our most successful australian teams have always been when the most amount of players are playing in europe and getting over there and or in the usa in the ncaa um of competition course. as well yeah um but because it, going back to what we were talking about it just provides that level of competition yeah. that level of training that just that environment which is yeah. so far ahead of what we can produce here yeah how do how do we go against the yanks the Yanks, they've they've got our number more recently, but have we they? had a great rivalry. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we always have in swimming. That's why I oh, asked. Absolutely. I didn't know water polo being a bit of an extension from the, swimming. Well, I mean, it really yeah. is. It's it's yeah. the two non-Europeans, right? Yeah, exactly. And so we yeah. go, we, we're kind of friends of sorts, but we, yeah. we yeah. battle hard. Yeah. Gee, we had some good battles. I remember uh, we had training. So they had a coach, Ratko Rudic, who was former Yugoslav. He's also coached Croatia since to Olympic gold medals, and he's – you know, he's the godfather of coaching, right? But he was hard. Yeah. And then we had Russian, the Russian coach, Urkachigov, <laughs> and he was hard. And I remember being over in California and we had this, we'd both done weights beforehand. So we'd done an hour of heavy weights. We were in this real loading phase. And then we got in and we did an hour and a half to two hours, I think, of our own training. And then we came together at the end for the final hour of a scrimmage, of a game together. We're exhausted. This was probably like the 10th day into a camp, right? We're just hating the world. Everyone's tired and sore. Um, and we went in there and we're playing hard. And I remember poor Peter Hudnut, I got, I got angry with him at one point towards the end of the game. And I, I lashed out and I hit him across the top of the eye and drew a bit of blood. <laughs> and, and they finally called the game off. You know, everyone kind of came in and there was testosterone going. They finally called the game off. And in, in true typical spirit, right, of, of Aussies in the US, where, you know, we're hard, we're competitive. Two nights later, we'd gone out, we had a few beers together on the Terps. Yeah, on the yeah, terps yeah. And, and the guys came up and they said, you know what, it was, it was wrong what you did, but we're kind of happy you did it because at least it called training off. <laughs> <laughs> you, you swung and a punch at one of us, that's but right. we, we were glad it And ended. they're like, oh, yeah, and Peter probably deserved it as well. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, Sid. Those stories that I really love. We, we've talked a little bit about the Olympics and, again, Australia and US. With your professional, you know, playing for Barcelona and you also believe played in Italy. That's right, yeah. And how how'd you go in those, you know, leagues yeah so in barcelona i loved I'd, i played in in a team then i moved to another team the year after um a team who had some older guys in there who 
they, they were my idols basically mm-hmm. these wow. were guys that, that that succeeded in they'd been olympic champions and all of a sudden i got to join that team and i didn't speak spanish too well uh they didn't speak english too well uh and that was a really defining moment for me i, I was over there by myself um you know i felt a little bit lonely i suppose at the time a bit challenged but just had a mindset to say yes to everything. I'd go out to dinners, not understanding what they're saying or anything, but yeah. just get out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. and just make those relationships, make those efforts. And there were so many times I didn't understand anything that, that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, and, and so I loved that. And we had great success with that team. I came back for a year, did studies. Um, and that's when I met Elka actually. Okay. Uh, 2004 Olympics, met Elka. And we were hanging out for quite some time. And eventually, you know, I think she said yes to going out with me seven months later. I put the ultimatum to her. I said, right, can't do this anymore. We're not just friends anymore. Um, and, but then not, not long thereafter, got an opportunity with a, an Italian contract. Mm. And I'd always wanted to go to Italy. I just knew that was the top league at the time. Yeah, yeah. It was the most professional. And said yes. And, you know, we, we were going to make it work long distance. I remember getting over there. It was this dreary, wet day and landing in Genoa, this kind of industrial town of sorts, mm-hmm. and going straight to this media conference. And I've got a Spanish background. I could start to understand Spanish. Went in there. I didn't understand a word. I thought, you know, Latin background. I'll, I'll know what's going on. <laughs> it's all kind of the same, isn't it? <laughs> Not a word. I, I knew none of the guys in the team, didn't know the coach. And it was, um, I was put in this hotel room for the first week. Oh, you're lonely. Man. And it was, yeah, yeah it, was, yeah, it was really yeah. lonely. And it was, we had this pool as well. And it's, unfortunately, the leagues are on over winter there, right? Mm. So it's cold as well. And this pool had a balloon over it. Mm. So it was always wet and, and dark. And we had a coach that just, yeah, he, he loved that Ratko Rudic that I mentioned before, right? The, just the long, hard swim sets. And so it was hard. And the same thing, learning a new language again, all of those things. But, it was the same thing. It's like perseverance. It's it's only through those hard toils that you get to learn. Where, you know, where are my limits, and and how can I push through those limits? Mm. And they're the character defining, character building. Mm. Uh, we were long distance as well, so I didn't have somewhere there, someone there by my side to support me. But it was actually the most liberating and enjoying aspect, I think, of my water polo because it was really putting me under pressure. Mm. I actually ended up having probably one of the best seasons. I think I was second highest goal scorer in that Italian league. Um, and then went on to sign a three-year contract with a team that I, I looked up to, and um, and it really opened up um, a new wow. you know a new level of water polo for me. Wow, that's awesome! It sounds so dreary. And so <laughs> I had similar experiences throughout my career racing for a team in Czech Republic. Oh yeah, wow. and this was right after the you know this is 95, 96, only a few years after the walls come down and staying in this old university and it was it was the dark corridors with the flickering oh, lights yes. like just like oh, in the movies right that's it, it was, yeah and i was there on my own staying in these dorms and just like and i had to do this race and there was another race of, uh, two weeks later but i just stayed in this dorm on my own and there was this little cafeteria down just the whole thing <laughs> but it, the, what you picture it's just kind of like, yeah you got to go through these times and it is part of the whole experience it's not all five stars and glamour it's like, no way yeah. and i mean you see it as an athlete right yeah. Everyone sees the outside, the glamour of the Olympic Games <laughs> and the World Championships and all these. Yeah. It's not glamorous at all, no, especially when, no. I mean, we toured so many times to Serbia, to war-torn, you know, Croatia at the time when it had only just been a few years out of the war, to Slovenia, to to Russia. Yeah. I mean, some of these places in Russia, so dark just and gloomy, dark yeah. and gloomy, and they're just hard-toiling camps. But 
you look back at them and you go, that was awesome, right? That's part hindsight, of who I am now. That's like, it, uh, uh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And so you mentioned some of the low times you've had, um, you know, briefly. They were kind of combined with your highs. Was there any massive lows where you had to dig yourself out? And, and, and I guess on that, if you did, how did you do it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think actually, funnily enough, it was signing that three-year contract with that top club. Mm. What's the name of the club? It was called Savona, Rally Nantes Savona, up in um, not far from Genoa, up okay. in the Ligurian coast in Italy. And that put a lot of expectation on myself mm. because it was a, it was a big contract um, and it was a big team and it had a big history and it had some big-name players in there as well. And when I went in there... It was a it was a different kind of a feeling, right? Mm. I've been young and um, resilient, and, and I can take on the world yeah, exactly yeah. everything. And going into going into that team, it was like all of a sudden my role was different. My role was very different to all of the roles that I'd played up to that as an attacker, a goal scorer, uh, you know, the point guard, so to speak, in the team yeah. making the decisions. So that was a really difficult transition professionally in terms of water polo. That mm. I felt I just wasn't. You know, I wasn't performing at my my expectations, yeah. and I I felt I wasn't performing in the eyes of the expectations of others as well, mm. and that's that's a difficult place to be in, right? Mm. I'm sure you've been in that yeah, grind, yeah. 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 You, you kind of you work hard, you it's work hard. That imposter syndrome, right? You're uh, kind of like, I yeah. don't belong here. Do I, you know, yeah. What am I going to do? Yeah. But, so how did you get yourself out of that? Like, what did you do? You just keep turning up? You just got it. Well, yeah. I think at the very start, you got to keep turning up. Yeah. You got to keep turning up. And you got to be careful, though, not to try and change who you are or change your game fundamentally. Mm. Mm. You got to remi- remember what got me to here. Mm-hmm. You know what is it that got me to here? Mm. And I think I really forged into, I really pressed into the relationships in the team. Mm-hmm. I pressed into the aspects of what I loved about water polo, what I loved about being in Italy, and so trying to take the pressure off. Everything was about that game on that Saturday and me performing. Right. Because when you push it too hard. that you're trying to focus too much on the outcome Mm -hmm. rather than the inputs, Mm -hmm. that's when you're going to fail, right? Whereas when you shift that and think of the inputs and the processes and the joy in that journey, then the pressure's taken off. Mm. And and I really, I love the fact that when you can come out of that and you can start performing, Mm -hmm. that it makes it so much sweeter, right? The Mm -hmm. harder it is, (laughs) it makes victory so much sweeter. Did you have somebody in your corner then helping, you know, because you're still fairly young at this stage and, you know, it's easy to sit back now and go, yeah, it's about the process, not the outcome, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and we do. We all have this wisdom as we get older. And mm. But when you're in it, you're still heavily conscious of going, oh, oh I've got to perform. Yeah. They paid me all this money and the team's got to perform and how do I fit in with these guys? I don't even speak the language. Yeah. Did you have somebody tapping you on your shoulder saying, hey, focus on the process, focus on your skills, focus on the enjoyment of the game and why you like to do it? Was there anybody that you had in your side? Or, you, did you, or were you kind that's, of just figuring it out on your own? That's a good question. I. In hindsight, I think that was probably a missing piece mm. in that time. Mm. Um, I was overseas, so you're not necessarily calling back and relying upon your mentors or anything that you've got here. So I didn't necessarily have as much of that um, support network. But what I did get to do was lean on that when I came back into the uh, familiarity of the Australian team mm. and and being amongst that. And at a, at, a, at a certain point, we got this great team sports psych um, for the Australian team. Jonah Oliver, he went, up to, he went on to head up the AIS sports psych division, I think. Um, and he's been very successful. He works with some of the top golfers in the world now, mm. greatest athletes, and I can see why. Um, and he was able 
to really support me through the team in just, yeah, putting things into perspective mm. and what you're focusing on and how you're focusing on it and the inputs, really focusing on the inputs. Mm. But um, it's a good point you raise because I think it's, it's an element that I didn't have enough of growing up and mm. that is really the emphasis on the, the sports psych side of things rather than just the physical side of things. Mm. It's, I think you and I are almost the pre-generation yes. before sports psych has become yeah. very mainstream Absolutely. you know and everybody's got a sports psych or maybe not even a sports psych, a strong mentor a or strong somebody mentor. that's just exactly. going to keep you in the ring and keep empowering you and i think you know you and i were talking at, at the beach the other day we were talking about the importance of mentoring and mm. we've decided hey we're at the age where now we got to be the mentors that's to the it. youth yeah. and i'm fortunate to be able to have conversations with a few young people that reach out and say hey great community and if it's just once a month just talking to them and just Saying guiding exactly them, what you're exactly. saying, right? Just guiding yeah. a little bit because I think especially when you're going over to Italy, you don't speak the language and, and you're signing these con- – and all of this, it's yeah. it's intense and it's pressure. Absolutely. And if you yeah. don't have somebody with you, I think um, this is where I think federations can actually spend a bit more time on, look, these are still Much young, more. young people. They're in their late teens, early 20s, still trying to figure out life and, yeah. and how do we help them. I, I want to I shift gear a little bit. Um, you know, your career outstanding – your passion for water polo is yeah. it just resonates mm. right you, the way you tell your stories and, and just the way you're smiling and just you then shift out of the sport and you've gone on to be the director and president of water polo australia you you've started uh water polo by the sea tell me a bit about that firstly what is water polo by the sea um, so water polo by the sea uh, while i was playing actually 2012 i just always had this i didn't think water polo was ever promoted properly mm. i think water polo is this sport that when people go and see that not many people 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 have heard about it right mm. but they haven't really seen it or they may have seen it at the olympics on the tv kind of thing and i just kept hearing people would come to the game and go oh my gosh that that game is amazing that's awesome live like how do you guys do that how do you egg beat how do you get up so high how do you <sighs> Like, how do you take those hits? You know, how fast are they? What, 80 kilometers now? They, they throw that ball at the goalkeeper? Like, wow. all of these things yeah. are amazing. Like, visually, and the guys, they're fit guys, fit, good-looking guys. Yeah. The girls, they're fit, strong oh, yeah. girls, right? Yeah. And so I just thought that that had never been captured in Gladiators water Gladiators of the pool. Gladiators, I like it. That's the next one. Gladiators in the pool by the sea. <laughs> so I, I never thought that that had been captured. Yeah. And so I thought, right, let's do this. 2012 i don't know how i got the idea but i'm like oh that's right the usa team were coming out mm. and i thought right i went to the federation i said give me an opportunity i'm going to host a game for us and i'm going to i want to make an event of this and they said yep right go for it you know it's yours i went to bondi icebergs which is an iconic pool down oh, by bondi the beach. beach here yeah yeah bondi beach is just i think it's one of the most beautiful beaches and pools in the world yeah, right yeah and, and I went to them and said, look, I've got this idea for an event. USA is coming out. Um, it, they were coming out in like six weeks' time, I think it was. I said, Not much time. <laughs> Not much time. And we were, we were in hard load training as well yeah, <laughs> during yeah. that time. And I, I had um, my second child by then, Edison. So, <laughs> How do you do it? <laughs> oh, he, he did everything right. But it, once again, it taught me about your capacity. Yeah. And just I remember for it was about five weeks straight. I probably had about four or five hours um, sleep a night kind of thing. But put it together and and put on this event and i you know what i almost felt like a fraud because i was selling this idea 
I didn't know what this event was going to be like, right? I'm selling the idea of what it would be. And it was a success. People turned up. We got celebrities there. We got TV, news, cameras and everything there. And it was just it just took off. And people were in awe of these guys, you know, USA versus Australia by Bondi on, on the ocean. It's on a, the ocean. It, it, it's a rock pool, everybody. So in the US, in Sydney, we have a lot of these 50-meter pools yeah. that are carved into the side of our, our cliffs right on the ocean and in the rock area. And in fact, my whole swim carnivals, which we call swim meets in yeah. American, but swim carnivals in Australia, we always went down to Harbord That's and that it, was the 50-meter yeah. pool and the waves would be crashing over and if you got lane one, you'd be getting crushed by the waves. And Anyway, <laughs> exactly. so it's, this, yeah. it really is, to your point, this iconic pool where you're on the ocean on one of the most iconic beaches in the world mm. and you managed to grab all the TV, massive crowds, yeah. And you pulled it off all in six weeks. Plus. Pulled it off in six weeks. And, yeah, oh. so, so that that's where the, the idea grew. I yeah. thought, okay, yeah. it's a success. So went on to do that number of years. Um, one year we did it, the, the waves were huge. There was a storm that whipped up. <laughs> and it went viral as a result because the, the referee <laughs> fell in the water too. It was so good. It was perfect. And, they were, you know, some of the people were saying, no, no, should we cancel it? And all the players were like, nah, hell no, let's go for it. Yeah. And it was it was just awesome. And, yeah. and ended up doing one in Portofino in Italy. And that, that was a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were bureaucratic here. I mean, they're bureaucratic yeah. in Italy, right? Yeah. And so in the water at Portofino, another one we did in Sydney Harbour, oh, just wow. in front of the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House, which was huge against wow. Italy. So that's, that's, yeah, that was my passion of seeing the sport promoted in a different light. And yeah. I think it has, it, it's, it's, it's resonated with the world um, because you have a lot more beach water polo going and events mm. similar to that. Oh, very well done, mate. I, I, I remember I think when we, we first met, it was probably you'd, you'd done one or two of them, I think, by that yeah. stage. It was a couple of years. Yeah. And just a fascinating idea. I think we even were talking about doing putting a triathlon around yes, there and making it part right. of that kind of – A festival, you know, maybe festival. a Barangaroo or something yeah, like that, Sydney yeah. Harbour, yeah. Have you, have you thought about doing that anymore? Is, where, where is, you know, water polo by the sea now? Yeah, so it's – there's i've got people who want to do it i've got organizations who want to do it and it's, it's really about committing to it so i've i've started at least putting the thought process on of of what it looks like to bring it back well let's and do an so, international one chris mccormack if you're listening on, i know on, chris. mac is doing yeah. the super league maybe there's a way we can incorporate the water polo by the sea with with the super league and definitely um because it is outstanding to watch i've actually had fun watching some of the youtube you yes, know, getting yeah. ready for this chat and it really is an outstanding sport okay so by now you've got a couple of kids. You now – did you go straight into becoming CEO of the storage unit company? Self-storage. So I started off actually in a consultancy role, rolling out some new tech in the business. My brother was – he was the general manager at the time. Oh, my right. father founded the business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I wanted to do my own things. I had an ego about me, right, yeah. that was like, no, no, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go into private wealth and investment banking and all these other things. And my father said at the time, he's like, look, that's okay if you want to do that. I want you to pursue that stuff, but I also want you to get an understanding of the business yeah. so you know it. And if you like it, that's good. So I, um, yeah, I got in and I loved it. I realized probably in private wealth, what resonated more with me was not investing the small and business, medium-sized business owners' wealth, mm. but it was more about their stories of mm. how they got there. And what I realized was it was a lot of those those businesses that aren't glamorous on the outside, they were the glamorous businesses on the inside, mm, right? Mm. Self-storage, I had a bit of an ego. I was like, no, nah, I don't want to be a part of self-storage. That's not glamorous. I want to do startup. I want to do tech. I, you know, I want to take on the world. And I realized that this, this resonated with all my skill sets. I loved marketing. I loved finance. I loved governance. I loved the legal aspects, the development side mm. of things. It had everything. And now we've, yeah, we've built it up over 10 years. I end, ended up 
taking over as a general manager and then as CEO. My brother moved over to, to New Zealand. So yeah. we've had a lot of fun. We've been able to build the, the business to a much bigger business in terms of you know growth and assets, but also in the people. Mm. We, we've got about 70 people now in the wow. business. So it's and a lot of fun. So, th- so then, you know, with your amazing sporting background and one of my favorite conversations is how has sport influenced the way that you operate? in the business world has there been any sort of standout areas whether it be leadership or teamwork especially coming from water polo which is all about team that you've been able to sort of bring over has there been any crossover yeah. where you're like this works well oh there's this yeah there's just yeah. there's so many aspects of sport that you yeah. that you bring across and uh, that's on a personal side that's on a team side yeah. team building aspect it's about relationships yeah. you know so it's all well and good if you've got the best product or the best service but it's not going to sell itself mm-hmm. it always I think fundamentally when you talk about a structure of a business, you're talking about the people in the business, aren't mm-hmm, you? Mm-hmm. You're not talking just about the products and services. Yes, that comes, but it always ends with people. Mm-hmm. And the same with sports. Mm-hmm. Even if if you're an individual pursuing goal, it, it comes together with the team around you, doesn't of course, it? Yeah. And, and how much they're putting into you and vice versa and, mm-hmm. and resonating and bouncing and, and the relationships you forge. So I think there's a huge aspect that comes from that. I was also fortunate that I was – I became president of Water Polo Australia, so I was the director for a number of years. Mm. And that was um, that was a difficult stage because people are passionate about sport, right? Yeah. And it's not tangible like a business that you can, in the end, go, right, no, no, this is what we're doing, this is how we're going. If you don't bring everyone along, <laughs> you're gone. Mm-hmm. And, and that's yeah. really difficult. So I gained a lot as well from that aspect of sport that I've been able to bring across to the, to the business too. I got to tell you, getting ready for this, I even said to Laura, I said, I don't know how he's done it all. Like you have four kids, you're starting up these random, you know, water polo by the sea. <laughs> you're the director and president of Water Polo Australia. You take on to become general manager and then CEO of this enormous company. And it's, uh, how do you do it? I, it's, uh, That's a, it's funny that- It's, yeah, a, very, it's yeah. a very lazy question, I'm yeah, sorry, no, but, it, but it's kind of, <laughs> it just has me intrigued. But it's, it's yeah, it's interesting because- there's still a huge element of me that I feel that I'm not I'm not giving enough or not doing enough in certain aspects, right? Mm. Going back to that imposter syndrome that you said, mm. I, I think no matter what you do or you look back and go, yeah, I've, I've achieved this or acc- accolades and whether that's good or not, I think it still comes back to, um, I don't know, you put big expectations mm. on yourself mm. and that's actually a challenge in itself, right? No matter what you look back and go, yes, I've ticked those boxes, sometimes you just don't. You don't stop and really enjoy that moment. Um, it's a growth mindset and it's yeah. a growth. Do you ever, sometimes I was saying to Laura, I say, sometimes I'm envious of people that have the ability to find contentment a little yes. bit more. I, I yeah. have to be somebody that goes, I'm going to be content yes. for a period of time and I yeah. have to control it and own the contentment. And then this inner burn just starts going, no, 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 I want to, I've got to do more. I got to, what else can I be doing? And don't get me wrong. First and foremost, I want to be a dad and I want to be a great husband. I yep. get it. But there's this inner drive mm. and sometimes I want it to turn off, but I have to – I've learned to manage it better. Do you – Yeah, you I'm, yeah. I, I'm 100% with you. Yeah. I, and the challenge can be is you go so hard and you push so hard, you push your, your, the limits of your capacity yeah. that it can fall apart sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. You've got to be really aware yeah. and, and, and cognizant of that. Yeah. And some aspects of your life can fall apart. Mm-hmm. Like to be honest right now – one aspect that I'm not happy with is my fitness. Mm. You know, isn't that ironic, right? Yeah. You, you've gone through your whole life. Everyone yeah. goes, oh, yeah, you must be fit. You're a four-time Olympian. No, no, I feel like the basic. biggest <laughs> imposter syndrome of all time. Yeah? And everybody wants to take you on. That's the amount it. of people that want to go for a run with me. And I'm like, yeah. 
whoa, I'm 25 pounds heavier, 12 kilograms heavier, <laughs> and not not all fat. There's some. I've been yeah. trying to put on some muscle. Running isn't comfortable anymore. Not at all. And and people want to, and then they run with you and they're half a stride in front the whole time. You're like. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, and you almost don't want to do it right because yes. you're like, no, that's not who I was. Yeah, yeah. That's not who I am. But, 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 and, and then Laura and I often say, I, I don't even know how we did what we did. I no. don't know who that person was. No. I'm like, who is, who is that person that uh, on my easy day, yes. I would run 10K in the morning. I'd bike to Jamestown in Boulder, which is a 40K return with a 13-mile climb. <laughs> Great. And then I'd do a 2K swim in the afternoon for recovery day. <laughs> That's it. Mate, that would be the biggest monumental day of my life in training right yeah. now. Right? And it's just like, who is that per- It feels foreign. Mm. And so now, I don't know how you feel. I'm sorry I'm dragging on here. But no, go. Now I feel um, training for health is almost train- harder than training for performance. Oh, good. Right? Yeah. Like training, turning up every day and doing 40 minutes, 45 minutes or something just for health is almost harder. But I don't want a goal because I know who I become with a goal. Oh, we're right? talking the same language here right now. I think there's something in here. We've got Because you're right, because your whole life, your whole sport, your whole health, it wasn't about your health. Yes, you had to be healthy to perform, but it was about performance. Absolutely. It was a, a really strong goal there. Yeah. And you had a support team around you. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, yeah, for health, what is this? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't like. I, actually, I realised I don't like swimming at laps. <laughs> like, what am I doing laps People for? People say, my whole Greg, life? you must love triathlon, swimming, biking, and running. I said, no, I actually don't love swimming, biking, and running. I love the community of triathletes. Yes. And I love trying to win, mm. trying to be the best at something. Yeah. That is what drove me. It could have been tiddlywinks for whatever it was. I was a competitive bastard that wanted to try and be the best in the world. I mean, happened to be swimming, biking and running. Yeah, and by virtue of your competitiveness, all of that was an afterthought. The the crazy stuff you were doing, right? It's like, no, I'm just going to do this because it's aligned with that goal. Yeah. That goal's taken away. It's like, uh. Well, now what am I going to do? And (laughs) don't get me wrong, everyone listening, I love the sport of triathlon. I'm passionate about it. But it's more about the community and the people. You know, when I celebrate triathlon, I love and I love to watch great performances, but do I want to swim, bike, and run every day anymore? No, mm-hmm. no. Actually, no I enjoy lifting weights a little bit. Oh, you're looking kind of, good. Oh, you thanks, buddy. Yeah, I wore a really tight shirt today. <laughs> <laughs> but, mate, this has been absolutely fantastic. But before I let you go, I want to, um, I've got a couple of questions. Um, first one, what would you tell your 16-year-old self now, looking back at your career? My 16-year-old self, I'd probably say um, embrace this journey. Like mm. embrace this journey. Enjoy those moments. Mm the results, they're going to come, yeah. right? And they're not going to come. And that's okay. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, so I think that one definitely. Secondly, really spend time on the relationships in your life mm-hmm. and the relationships around your life. Mm-hmm. So what you said about the community of, of triathlon, the mm-hmm. same thing. I was in water polo, obviously, in a big way. Spend time, invest more in the relationships mm. than just going after the outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they're two of the major ones. And thirdly, It'll work out okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'll work out okay no matter what. Especially when you're 16, right? Yeah. And we're, I've talked about on this show numerous times, your insecurities, you know, yeah. trying to find your way and, mm. you know, it's a, it's not an easy time in your life, that sort of 14, 15, 16, you're trying to prove yourself. and That's right, yeah. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's going to be okay. And, and I love I love the, the, the opportunity to speak to kids at that age, right? Yeah. Or kids that are just finishing up school. What should I do? This, that and the other. I, my parents think I should get – I'm like, stop. If anything, the parents might not like to hear this, 
go and travel overseas. Yeah. Go and lose your wallet in Madrid somewhere and have to work out. Figure it out. You figure it out. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. So embrace, yeah. embrace that age yeah. and that freedom yeah. almost, yeah. right? And that yeah. growth. Yeah. And being prepared to just live very, very affordably. And yes. just, just try and, you know, just try and just survive and, and those survival instincts kick in. Mm. I know. Don't, don't get me wrong. I don't want to do it all again. No. But, but, <laughs> but it's going to be okay. Yeah. All right, next one. If you could have dinner with any three people, alive or dead, but non-family, mm-hmm. who would it be? Three people. All right. I, I'd probably get John Howard and mm. he was a, a prime minister and it's not because of my political persuasion or anything like that, but he was a prime minister for a long period of time, a leader of our nation through some difficult times, mm-hmm. through some good times. Mm-hmm. But what I've always found with him is the way that he's been able to articulate a problem to simplify a problem so much so that then to find the solution becomes that much easier as well wow. you put everything into perspective yeah um and i and i like the way that he's he's always had his values of what he believes you know the way of leadership and he's he stood true by those mm. so i think um Someone like John Howard, absolutely. He was he was prime minister what twelve years? It was, a, it, was a, it was a decent stint. He was a decent stint, yeah. 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 And you know, controversially, I suppose internationally at least, um, he brought in those gun laws that mm-hmm. um, that meant that we didn't have automatic weapons and assault yeah. rifles and things like that. And that was that was actually quite a defining time, I think, for our nation mm-hmm. through that period. Mm-hmm. Um, who else would I like? No, you've taken out family. That makes it really difficult because know, I'm like, I, I I'd, I'd love my wife here to be able <laughs> to experience those things too. She, I tell you what, Elko and I will wait the tables. Yeah. <laughs> okay, perfect. Well, I can't wait to catch up with you and Laura, by the way. Yeah, so they're, yeah, they're the yeah. other oh, two. That's, that's very nice of you, mate. Um, I'd love to, you know what? I'd love to have sat down with Roger Federer at the age of about 16, yeah. 16, 17. Right before he beat he be a... Sampras was he beat Sampras at Wimbledon for his first. That's right. Over, yeah, and he was 19, 18, 18 or nineteen, or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so just to, just just to see where he was at yeah, that stage, yeah. and you know, we've all read about him, we've all yeah. heard of him, we've interviews and things throughout his career. But I think it'd be really fascinating just to mm. see where he was at mm. that point in time. You know what. What forged him to that moment? I love that. Roger Federer at 16, at 16 17. I, love yeah, 16, <laughs> I don't want 17. him now. I want him, I want him in his youth. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the third one, oh, it would be a mix of you know people that I love in my world today. I catch up with some great mentors mm. in life. Mm. Um, mm. And it's, it's, it's someone who I do catch up with a lot, and it's probably um, Peter Overton. He's mm. an Australian Channel 9 newsreader. He's mm. just an absolute legend, yeah. an icon of Australia. But... But when you catch up with him one-on-one, when you catch up with him in a group, he's not. He's just like this humble yeah. individual that yeah. just just resonates, you know, a certain level of humility that I love and a, a level of uh, perspective that I love. And he's got some great stories. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's seen the world and he's get, got some great stories, highs and lows. But but it's probably someone like that who's really close to me and, and I find a mentor of sorts. I love that. Yeah. Well, you've got, you've, got, you've got the journalist, you've got the, the politician and the sports. That's, that's, that'd be, that's a go. good dinner, mate. I'll yeah. definitely be waiting that table. I love think that'd it. be pretty cool. Yeah, he was um, – <laughs> you and Peter were on the, the Kingswood because your wife oh, that's right. has the Queenswood. Yeah, uh, the Queenhood. And then Queenhood, was, I'm yeah, sorry. No, that's Queenhood, right. It was yeah. Kinghood. And Kinghood. That's yes, right. Yes. Yeah, so and, – and look, I'd, we catch up the other couple of guys that were there as well. Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd rotate them around in that table of three, as you said. Yeah. But it was uh, my wife puts together a queen who she's done twenty four events, bringing women together. She gets speakers, and it's it's about positive, mm-hmm. you know, empowerment of sorts, but not in this 
feminist way per se it's open it's it's non-exclusive mm-hmm. but it, it's a way of empowering and supporting each other mm-hmm. and all of the various stories and so she decided that she wanted to do a, a, a kinghood one there's not enough necessarily out there for for males mm-hmm. and and talk about males issues positive negative mm-hmm. challenges and things and i think it really resonated with people and um I think she's onto something. Well, count me in on the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we're around. You'll be that. speaking at the next one. Speaking. All yes. right, <laughs> all right. You fly me in. <laughs> well, mate. All right. Next one. Where do you see yourself in the next five years? The next five years. It you. is. It is a strong and connected father. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be father of gosh, an eighteen-year-old, a sixteen-year-old, a thirteen-year-old, and a nine-year-old by then. So I want to be a really strong, mm-hmm. connected father. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be a great, loving husband. Mm-hmm. So I want to be more in love with my wife than I am today. Uh, I want to be more strategic in my profession. Um, so in my leadership, I want to move to, to, to a higher level of strategy so mm-hmm. it's less of the focus on the operations. Mm-hmm. I think it's, um, it's really important that you're across the details, but you can't sweat the small stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's moving away from that. And I want to be fitter, faster and stronger. There you go. I love that. I love that. That was really good, actually. I'm going to take that. <laughs> All right. And last one on this, on this group of four. What, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Best piece of advice? Oh, I think look, just the other day, I mean, I've had so many good pieces of advice and wisdom throughout my life, but it depends on where you are in a moment. Um, and we were talking about before of – you know, you've, you've got certain goals and ambitions and you want to move hard, etc. But I was in a phase where in work, things were kind of churning. churning. Mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling like I'm progressing as quickly as I wanted to. And a, and a friend and a great mentor, in, especially in business, he said to me, he goes, patience. Mm-hmm. Just this is the season for patience, mm-hmm. right? It'll work out. Mm-hmm. It's going to be okay. But this is your season right now for patience. And that sounds kind of crazy and almost counterintuitive to great pieces of advice that I've had through life, but it really resonated with me. It took somebody to say to me, hey, just stop. It's mm. okay. Where you are is okay. But this is this, is this uh, when you, you have this driven growth mentality, more and striving, yeah. you need that kind of advice that says, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Take a breath. Absolutely. It's okay. Yeah. I like that. That's really good. Let's finish with some rapid fire questions. All right. Are you ready? Are any fast trip fighters Ready to go. Left? Come on. Right, Somewhere. <laughs> Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Favorite meal of the day, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Breakfast. <laughs> I know counterintuitive, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> can a vegetarian eat animal crackers? Ooh, animal crackers. <laughs> No, can a vegetarian eat animal crackers? Oh, sorry. I thought you said a can of vegetable or animal crackers. I'm like, I'll take animal crackers, whatever they are. A can of vegetables. <laughs> a can of vegetables or animal crackers. I think everyone would pick animal. No, it's meant to be a joke. It's a, it's a, can, a veget- <laughs> can a vegetarian eat animal crackers? That's awesome. Oh, I'd oh. say yes, go for it. Why not? <laughs> All right. Favourite sport besides water polo? Rugby union. Mm. Did you play rugby at Scots? I did. Yeah. I wasn't great. Well, I was great until about 11 and then it and really grew, went to, yeah. Everyone grew everyone around grew. you, although you grew too though. So. <laughs> All right. One book you'd recommend? Uh, Range by David Epstein. Mm, it's a great book. Yeah, I love yeah, that yeah. book. Uh, favourite movie of all time? Favourite movie? Well, Forrest Gump for some reason. Always just it's comes epic. at me. I just love it. It's epic, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So many the stories within stories. Yes. Yeah. I always say the way I retired from sport, people are like, you know, 
I, I was 44 and I was racing in Beijing and I was over there and I got out of the swim and I jumped onto the bike and I was in the league where I was doing okay. And I got about a K into the bike and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I ran my bike <laughs> to the hotel, which was nearby, and uh, called the race director first and said, look, I've pulled out, you know, and I, you can keep my appearance money or whatever. They actually let me keep it. It was lovely. Um, and then called my wife and said, I've retired. And she said, oh, me too. She'd raced that morning in Colorado. And, um, and it was like this Forrest Gump movie, like when he's yeah. running across the America and, and he just goes, stops. I think I'm done now. <laughs> and that was it. That, <laughs> that was, was it. it. My bucket just went to empty and I never looked back. It was wow. like this. I was very fortunate to be able to retire on my own terms. That's, like that, but it that's was a like, Forrest Gump moment. That's yeah. such a cooler retirement story than mine or anyone else's. Just no. <laughs> right in the middle of that race. I know was, I'm done. I was like, I don't want to. I'm empty. I don't want to push anymore. That's cool. And, and that was it. Yeah. All right. Wait, wait, wait. Um, favorite piece of technology you own? Ooh, favorite piece of technology. It used to be all sports tech and all sorts of stuff, but I love my car stacker. Mm. I bought this car stacker. I've got an old Ford Mustang yeah. and we didn't have the room to do a double garage. So instead I raised the roof and put in a car stacker. So it sits in the top of the roof most of the time. I tell you, when you just went and showed me it. It's like James Bond. It's it like is. this. It's like this. It comes down from the ceiling. As long as it doesn't crush your beautiful mountain bikes. That's, <laughs> that's right. Or the kids' bikes. It's not as glamorous as mountain bikes. <laughs> no, that is really cool. Um, here's a quick big one for you. Is cereal a soup? Is cereal a soup? It depends how you define soup. <laughs> I. Jeez, I know this is going to be. This is supposed to be a really quick answer. No, but no, this no is a tough it's one. definitely not a soup. I think soups have got to be heated, even if they they had cold afterwards. Whereas cereal, you just don't have it cold. There's plenty like, of cold uh, soups out there, though. Yeah, I know, but that's after they've been heated. <laughs> surely, no, 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 no. Cold soup is a thing. Well, I did have it in Hungry once. Yeah, yeah. I thought no. that was more like. Oh yeah. no, 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 mate. Okay. Cold soups a thing. Like you can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm saying no. Okay. <laughs> if you were arrested with no explanation. Mm. What would your friends and family assume you had done? <laughs> this is not a fast one either. Uh, but this <laughs> is definitely not a fast I reckon they'd have to assume some kind of white-collar crime. Or may, <laughs> may, maybe I think, you know, maybe I'm putting tickets on myself for being some level of intelligence to have white-collar crime. But yeah. I did that to my wife once. I yeah. rang her. I'm like, oh, Elk, I can't say much. Um, I've got the federal police in here. We've, we've done some stuff at work. I just oh. – and, she, and she's like – you're joking. I said, no, no, look, just don't say anything. Everything will be fine. I'm sure it's okay. Run. <laughs> and I got her. And she you was good. <laughs> you got her. And I'm like, wait, hang on a second. So you don't trust me? <laughs> she actually went with it going, oh, yeah. She did. That, that sounds about right. <laughs> Doesn't She's not surprised at all. Oh, I love it. All right. And last one, best decade of music. Oh, I reckon it's less about the music than the experiences you had with the music. Oh, well done. Yeah. So I think it was, I think it was like, Ooh, the early 2000s, mm. I was out of school, you know, I had some freedom, I was living overseas and stuff, getting into a bit of the dance music, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Eminem had come onto the scene as well, <laughs> so there was some hip-hop and rap and everything, definitely early 2000s. Wow, all right, well, you and I can probably, if, it, if it's early 2000s where they're doing remixes of the 80s, oh, that's the kind of music that, I'm into. I, I love when they grab a great 80s song, they remix it with a good beat. True, yeah. yes. And that is kind of 2000 y type Music, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Mate. All right. What's next for you? What's next? Um, uh, it's probably getting towards that five-year plan that you, uh, that you made me think about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's, um, yeah, it's, it's in a professional sense, really um, elevating our business. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, we're, in a, we're in a phase right now of what growth looks like, really working through what growth, look, growth looks like. 
and and to me that's really exciting mm. um in terms of myself it's a focus on being faster fitter and stronger mm. it's what we talked about mm. you know prioritizing and and getting getting on top of that health yeah, yeah. and that's that's a real challenge especially for me. through your 40s and 50s it's yeah. um i think if you can do your 40s and 50s reasonably well with health mm. it'll help the 60s and 70s a lot yeah and, and so it is prioritizing that health that it has to well i had my it. first checkup literally with the doctor this morning first oh. checkup i think it's the first time i've been to the doctor in like four or five years yeah, i've never been to the doctor yeah i know I well who goes to the doctor for a checkup right yeah unless you're going to australian olympic teams and things they used to test you and stuff yes yeah that's that right was, that was about it and yes. but it was good she was saying the same things it's like okay if you focus on this this and this it's about longevity yeah. right? so you know what i found is um just you know, sidetracking you but i found if i can just do 40 minutes of something each day yeah Right, and that can be stair stepper. It can be lifting some weights, maybe a little jog. Running around Sydney's amazing. Oh, That's beautiful! I know, yeah, I know why. When I come to Sydney, running is just so great. Mm. Even when I go to Boston, I like running in Boston too. Florida's a bit tough. I find yeah. Florida for running a bit, but then I I go. I'm in a great gym there, and they got the sauna and the ice bath. Oh, nice! Gym. Yeah. And, and I use the sauna as much as um, health, but it's also conversations with other guys. Yes. And I can't stand the guys who bring their phones in. And listen oh, to you can't do that. But you have the 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m. group in there. It's all a bunch of guys that are all – and you're all just oh. – you, know, you talk about the, the kinghood that you have. It's almost yes. like you have this brotherhood in the, in the sauna, so I use it for that. And I found to do that every morning to start my day has been a, a nice way a to game start changer. the day. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic because you really get power and energy off others around you, oh, right? I'm big time like that. Big time. And yeah. I just last week, started taking up some boxing again with a couple of mates yeah. as we drop off the kids for swimming. We've got an hour, yeah. 5 a.m., what do you do? And we started doing that. Oh, my gosh. I was on fire. I walked into the office. They're like, what are you on? I'm like, I'm on I'm on life. Yeah. I'm, on, I'm back. Yeah. You know, yeah. you feel good about it. And it's being around people too. Yeah. And yeah. the more sometimes you can get into this, yeah, this spiral that it, you, you into yourself and insular and insular but get around people gosh you always feel better and exercise get around people and and realize that you've got this short life it really is going to be short and you better be having some fun along the way you can build businesses and you can raise children but it's like you gotta i don't know be present every every chance you get i like to start every one of my my day and i often do this at this in the sauna practice my gratitude yes i uh i put my vision of what i want to become and, and I manifest that, so I go through that a little bit, and then I always finish with, "Today could be your last." Yeah, right. Oh, so strong, and not just your last; it could be a loved one's last. Mm. And, and so you start to think: be present with your kids, be present with your missus, be present with your mum and dad, whatever. Yeah, because you never know. And, and and I find if I can start every day like that, suddenly, if you got a big stress in work or whatever, everything changes in per- perspective, right? All perspective, so, especially when you start the day with gratitude. Yeah. Can, yeah. you, can you touch upon a, a bit of that vision that you spoke about? Can I get that out of you? You want to know my vision? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my, my vision my vision is a bit very, very similar to yours actually and I think we were talking about this when we were at the, at the beach. I think first and foremost is to be the best man I can be. Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah, and, and, and if that can be a man that other men would aspire to be like, that's kind of the goal, right? It's like, And being a dad now, that means you know, provide and protect. If you want to go a bit ancestral, it's kind of provide and protect. And what yeah. does that mean? Well, provide means I, I, I have a great roof over their head and I'm providing so they don't need for anything. They can want for things. But there's provision but in their life. There's You're provision. providing those needs, those basic needs uh, exactly. at least. Plus, exactly. Yeah. Plus. yeah. And yeah. then protect for me means I got to, when I turn up, I'm present and I'm there 
and I'm around as much as I can be. And so if I have to travel, I minimize travel away from the family as much as possible. I'm there and I'm around all the time, as much as I can be yeah, yeah, yeah. within healthiness. Yeah. And that it also means being healthy on the daily, but also I'm an older dad, I'm 51 with mm. a five and a three-year-old. Longevity, so yes, making sure yeah. what am I doing to try and be around for the next 30 years, you know, that I can help or be there for as a dad for my kids. So when I vision and want to manifest, those are my big things. Things like work or mm. how I make that income or what I'm doing for my health. The specifics of it don't matter so much as just the the character I want to be, yeah. you know. That's and, perfect. That vision, yeah. I love that because that's, yeah. I think, um, you know, we were touching upon this recently, right? And that is, you know, what is it to be a man today yeah. in today's world? And I think you've described it perfectly there, yeah. right? You've got that vision there yeah. of even if you're not a father, it's being a father mm. of sorts, right? I like that. To, to, the, to the children or to the younger ones being in your life. Being, being a role, a role model. model. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Being, yeah. being the best man that you can be. Yeah. And it's being present, as you yeah. said, being present in your family's life, but in those people around you, their lives as well, mm. your friends, your colleagues, etc. Um, it's it's yeah, it's it's having a vision of what that man looks like mm. and and putting character at the forefront of that rather than accolades. I think when you can judge yourself based upon your character, mm. you're probably going to be a whole lot more successful than thinking that business profits will be you yeah. know your definition of success. No, exactly. That's that's the only scoreboard. But, mate, I think that's a really great place to wrap up. That was well yeah, said. So yeah, good. You just crushed that. No, that you crushed that. That was a lot of that. fun. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Thank I, you so much for having me oh, on. Oh, mate, it's such – you know, it was crazy. I, uh, I'd i said to Laura, you know, when we get to Australia, I'll bring all my podcast gear. I'd love to do some interviews. And and you were, you were on one of the pile. I've got a couple of others that I'll, uh, I'll hope to sit down and do in person, which is really yeah, cool to do in person. Very cool. And – I hadn't, we'd, we'd all been a bit sick the first week here. And so I kind of hadn't reached out to anybody, wasn't feeling great. And then boom, there you are down at the beach. <laughs> and we get straight into it, don't we? We were just talking life, manhood, uh, yeah, yeah. everything, right? Yeah, it was cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And so to be able to sit down on a Monday when you probably should be working, you spend all this time. We couldn't find the, I, I forgot some of my equipment. We had to run to the store, come back. We made it work. But we made it happen, yeah, mate. That's it. We made it happen. And this was really, really fun. And so I really appreciate oh, you, buddy. I've really yeah. enjoyed this. Thanks so much yeah, for having me. Yeah, you're welcome, mate. For everybody else, you can find all the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thank you. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time. And I hope you will join Greg again very soon.